fear of heights. <laughs> and he was this really big, muscly, awesome fellow, but he had, you know, just this a very rational fear, actually. <laughs> and um, and Dad'd be drilling into the side of the um, into the side of the rock, and this poor fellow would. Um, have the fear overtake him, but he'd reach out and grab my dad's cord. Oh. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a funny story in hindsight because it would be absolutely terrifying, but yeah. in the moment, yeah, not, not quite so funny. Yeah, <laughs> it could only really be funny later. <laughs> yeah, I lost the thread of where we were going with that, but uh, the, oh, the, the West Coast. I'm Emily Kyle, and this is Local. This is a conversation recorded with Hobart-based photographic artist Zulu Convoy. This episode was recorded in January at the QBank Gallery during Lou's residency there. Just start from the beginning. Mm. From the beginning of you. Maybe we can talk about where where you were born, what your family was like, what it was like growing up. Yeah. Um, so I was born in Sydney. Um, actually, everyone in my family were born in different states. We're a family of travellers. Um, but mum and dad were quite young when they had me. And I think at about six months, they decided that they were going to go backpacking around the world, which is pretty amazing. And you were six months old? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, they're pretty energetic and they they backpacked. It was fairly rudimentary style backpacking, buses and hitching and... Um, God, with a six-month-old baby. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine doing that with my son. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty brave. Um, and they went to some pretty amazing places. Um, so they went to Austria and they went to the Greek islands. They went to Samoa, Canada just travelled all, all around America and I think I had my first birthday in Crete. Wow. Mum and Dad, they've got beautiful photos of me um, playing with Cretan babies, which is pretty, pretty sweet. Um, apparently I got really sick in, um, in Greece and there was no, there was no doctor to... Um, to look up, you know, to refer to, and they um, they had to ask one of the local local healer healer ladies to come in and and um, sort of seek some sort of um, advice from this lady, and she put um, a huge wreath of olive leaves around my around my neck and around my um, around my bed, and by the next morning I was okay. It's quite lovely. Wow. It's <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah, I think they were pretty worried. They were pretty worried that they were in on a very isolated in a very isolated place in Greece with no doctors and I was quite sick. Oh, that must have been nerve-wracking for them. Yeah. What a beautiful story to carry with you now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we traveled for quite a while and then I think they came back and um, the last place they visited was Tassie. Um, so they just um, they fell in love with the place and 
we ended up staying, which is just such a lovely idea that you could just turn up with some backpacks and a babe and make a life. It is. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, so have you been living there? Are they still living there? Um, yeah, they have They have been. I lost my dad a couple of years ago, which is oh, I'm, I'm still sorry. recovering from. Um, we are all recovering from. Um, but, yeah, they were incredibly happy in Tassie and, um, yeah, they, they Dad still did a lot of travelling after after um, settling. He went all around the place, um, Macquarie Island. He went to South Georgia and all these really remote wild places, Alaska and South America and all around Asia. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've definitely got big travelling genes in our family. He must have been an incredibly interesting man. Ah, he was heaps of fun. Yeah, heaps of fun. He was a pretty wild adventurer. Yeah. But when we first moved to Tassie, uh, we were living in Hobart and Dad got a job on the West Coast and he would travel up to Tulla um, every week. And so it was just Mum and me in Hobart and I think she found it pretty hard actually. Uh, mm. She didn't know many people and all the family were in Sydney and Dad would be away for the during the week. And, um, and it's not a small trip either. It's not a small trip, no. And, um, you know, turning up with just backpacks, I don't think we had very much. Um, but, um, yeah, they did that for a couple of years and, uh, and she, she was um, also preparing to, um, to be a teacher. So, yeah, that's our start. Yeah. Tassie Adventure. Yeah, and also my connection to the West Coast as well. I think that's kind of where it starts because my dad would talk about um, the West Coast a lot. He was really charmed by the people and by the landscape. Well, it is um, incredibly impressive, but I imagine that the landscape here was so much, so, so different than to what it is now. Mm, Yeah, I've been um, rummaging through um, through our old... um, family albums just to find his old photos of Queenstown and Tuller and Rosebury and it is remarkably different actually yeah it's changed it's changed a lot so did you say what he what was he doing for work here um he got a job with um I think he was drilling um he was drilling one of the dams um for the hydro Mm. and um it was pretty perilous actually (laughs) he would talk about um yeah, they sort of throw these um, ropes over the side of this. It almost looked like an open-cut mine. Oh he described it. And they had these sort of like four or five tiers of levels of treachery. Oh. <laughs> and you'd get thrown over the edge of this um, uh, this cut and your job was to, you, so you're sort of hanging off this almost like a bungee cord, sort of drilling into the side of the, oh. the mountain. And... Um, he was uh, he was saying that he'd always he'd always get stuck next to this um this one guy who had this really terrible fear of heights <laughs> and he was this really big muscly awesome fellow but he had you know just this a very rational fear actually <laughs> and um 
and Dad would be drilling into the side of the um, into the side of the rock, and this poor fellow would um, have the fear overtake him. But he'd reach out and grab my dad's cord, oh, oh. and um, yeah, I mean it's a funny story in hindsight because it would be absolutely terrifying. But yeah. in the moment, yeah. Not not quite so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Can only really be funny later. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wow, so the West Coast was a part of your life pretty early on then. Yeah, I guess it was, yeah. Yeah, my dad was a pretty good storyteller and really observant in regards to the landscape. So he'd bring those stories home and, yeah. So when was the first time you came out here for yourself? Um... I was probably about 12, actually, and we did a Tassie tour with our school. Actually, no, it would have been a lot younger than that, but my first, my dad would have brought me out a lot earlier, but my first real memories of the place was with on a school trip and we got billeted out with families all over the state through the school. Yeah, and yeah, it was, I mean, the trip was incredible. I loved Absolutely loved being away from my family, <laughs> which sounds really terrible, but it is just all about adventure. Yes. Um, uh, was it your first time away from your family? Was it your uh, first sort of? No, I'd done other. Um, I'd done other school trips and loved them just as much. You know, Port Port Arthur or wherever. Um, I think back back then, like school, there was a lot more flexibility for schools to just be a bit more adventurous. Um, perhaps these days it, it, I think it would be a lot harder to, you know, fill out all the paperwork and um, organise trips like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because we would do them every year. Oh, that's just so wonderful. fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but grade six, yeah, I was building that billeted out with a family in Queenstown and that was lovely. That was the the first night of the, the trip we travelled to Queenstown. Do you remember your initial reaction? Um, yeah, I do actually. It, um, it was quiet and I, I remember the family, I remember thinking the family, they were obviously very hardworking um and they were very kind um but yeah incredibly quiet not suspicious not um uh you know they had invited me into their their home um but it did feel di- very different like um like the ha- yeah it was it was i mean the setting, like even just driving, I remember driving down in the bus, you know, like driving down the bends and just sort of thinking, wow, what mm. is this wild alien place? And, you know, that just sets such an incredible mood and scene. Even for a 12-year-old, it's sort of like, wow, okay, this is remarkably different from anything that I've experienced before. Perhaps even more for a 12-year-old. Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm thinking about your work now and I'm thinking about the mythology element to your work, the story, the what we're talking about, you as a 12-year-old coming into this strange alien place and having this reaction to it. 
that I think, you know, when we're younger, we have the ability to imagine things, imagine things and make things bigger than what we can do when we're adults, you know? Mm. Yep. Yeah, so maybe maybe we could start talking about your work mm. and maybe we could start talking about um, what you've been working on while you've been here. Sure. Yep. Um, so, yeah, um, my partner and I and my our daughter, Mabel, we've had the wonderful opportunity to come and visit QBank, um, which is such an incredibly generous um, opportunity to um, stay here for a month and work and respond and be inspired by the landscape and the people. Yeah, everyone that we've encountered has been incredibly generous and um, really invited us into the community. So that's been really wonderful. And I guess I was really excited about coming to Queenstown because a lot of my work does revolve around pretty hazardous landscapes and mountains. I love mountains. I love the the symbol of, like, upheaval and, um, you know, just the topography of and the lines of these, you know, these amazing scapes. It really fits with um, a couple of projects that I've been heavily thinking about over the last year. I've been exploring the um, the myth of Sisyphus, the Greek myth. Oh, I don't know it. Can you tell <laughs> sure. me? Sure. Um, so the myth of Sisyphus is it's basically it's a story about a king and there's lots of different um, interpretations or um, of the story. But basically he, um, this king has a real lust for life and um, he, um, he defies the gods and he's condemned to death. And Oh, can I ask quickly, how does he defy the gods? Um, he's, he's just, it's about his passion for life. He's, he's oh. gone too far. He's oh. pushed the limits a little I bit see. too much, I think. And um, he escapes death anyway. He manages to, um, oh, God, what's the word? You, like he captures death and he, he escapes death. And he, he's living this life again. Like he, he's even more... Um, happy to be alive because he he knows that he's had this close encounter and um oh oh like he cheats death like he he cheats death yeah he um but he actually captures death so death is shackled really yeah so wait is anyone else dying no so everyone's living these really amazingly fruitful sort of lives oh gosh and um, I bet that didn't go over well with the gods well no it doesn't and they capture him again and um, he he escapes the second time, oh and there are um, different interpretations of the story. So I have heard different um, other different sort of takes on the story. But basically, yeah, he escapes again, and he's captured again. And this time, the gods are obviously pretty ropeable. You know, yeah. <laughs> I want to say pierced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're pretty they're pretty angry. And 
they condemn him to a life of forever pushing this rock up the hill for basically for eternity and um, it is eternity because when he pushes it up the hill, the rock falls back on its own weight and it it rolls back down the hill and he's and it's his job to keep pushing it up the hill <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah this I mean this story has has resonated with me for a big part of my life, like um particularly the last fifteen ten ten or fifteen years that I've just sort of stumbled across it like every night again I maybe not so much in the last five years i I wouldn't forget about it, but I remember encountering it when I was younger and just I don't know the image of this this guy. And that relationship that he must have with the rock and, um, yeah, it, it always enthralled me. Um, All I keep thinking about is um, what would happen if he stopped rolling the rock up the hill? What would the consequence be? Yeah, I think that's a really great philosophical question. Like you get to, <laughs> you get to think about all these things like mm. is that just the the end of his life altogether or is that yeah or is, it or is that a really amazing defying moment or is it yeah um seems like an extreme form of meditation yep <laughs> um yeah Camus wrote a really wonderful book about about um about it as well and I was I've often referred back to um, the myth of Sisyphus, Sisyphus by Albert Camus. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know, like for me I guess it's sort of it's just a really in- interesting metaphor for contemporary life and also for um, I guess I, I was really enjoying the idea of um, bringing in a, f- a female figure to this, to this story, and um, just um, yes, because the photographs, the this woman that, that you know, and in different, when I was looking at the series in different outfits, are they two different women or are they the same woman? Uh, they're the same woman. So it's always me in Sisyphina. So I've named named the project Sisyphina, but I have used a different techniques for um, creating the images. So in the stills, I've used infrared film. It was a really fun experimental way of uh, creating the images. Infrared film is it's not manufactured or it's not made anymore, but I just came across a stock. Um, some stock in Germany, and um, that's so much fun. Yeah, it was really fun, and I mean, it felt like high risk because shooting film—it's transparency film, which is really sensitive for when you expose the film. But it's—it's it's also like um, it's um, sensitive to infrared light, and you can't meter for infrared. You can only meter for visible light. So there's lots of factors. I guess there's lots of technical factors in regards to using the film that felt um, risky 
but I was really, really intrigued by the effect of um, what happens with the film because the film really responds to um, uh, like foliage, chlorophyll, um, the chlorophyll in the foliage. So the film was originally made as a, um, a spy tool and it was used for aerial photography and governments were using it to infiltrate um, sort of guerrilla or nefarious sort of activities because um, particularly in jungles and, and places like that, they were trying to scope out um, sort of, um, yeah, activity that was going against their their likes because the uh, infrastructure, like it, I don't know if this is making sense, but the, the, the look of the film, like the, it turns all foliage, any green foliage, this really vibrant, pinky sort of magenta yes, colour. Yes, yes, and those are the first sort of um, what, when I was looking at the series, the way they're presented, those are the first sort of images that come up yep. first. And I was trying to, did you do any um, post-production work? No. That's, that's the film. That's the that's the film. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like, um, And I guess that's one thing that, made the project feel very risky because it's it's a small stock that I found in Germany but also it's film so you don't get a you don't get a second yeah. go and the other thing is you can't it's really really hard to meet her for but I was just like the romance of the moment just mm. seeing this film and just sort of wondering oh wow how can I how can I get this how can I get this this new material, it's old material actually, but this new material that I had encountered to play a really significant part in creating these surreal images. Just another, it's just another level or another layer of, I don't know, removing you from some sort of um, current reality or I'm not sure, quite sure what I'm trying to say there. No, but, no, um, that's perfect. It's, um, that's a lot of what your work is, at least from where I'm sitting, that it's um, it's almost like you're looking in on something. You're you're not there. It's in a lot of ways. Sometimes it can feel familiar. Yeah. You know, we're talking when we are thinking about these fables and stories. Um, it it has a quality that can feel familiar, but there is a significant removal of the the viewer and the scene that you're looking at yeah absolutely I, I think in those the photographs you're talking about where you're using the infrared film that it translates so beautifully yeah I think it's um it's a lovely effect and yeah it's it's an interesting idea that uh that the the film can do that as well but I think something that I I feel the need to say is, and I get a lot of feedback in regards to some of my images, like um, a lot of them in some in some areas of the images it can seem unfinished or it can seem like um, they can it can seem like there's some this this clash or this something that's not quite right and and I really like playing with that. I'd, I'd like to have that in in some of the images where you in two-thirds of the image, you're sort of really taken to this place, but then there's there's this 
there's this a part of the, the image that can seem like an error or a bit incomplete or a bit, I don't know, like um, uh, it's sometimes the images aren't particularly, there might be an element of refinement but then they can seem quite unrefined as well. I like playing with these um, with these ideas. Yes, absolutely. But um, I guess with the images that are on the website, there's the infrared images and there's also a few stills and that's of um, a video that I made. I took the rock to Ben Lomond and pushed it up Jacob's Ladder, which is this amazing sort of switchback road oh, and um, to the top the- of the... The images that you're talking about now, yeah. are they the ones where you've got the, the long nose yeah. coming down and the long chin coming yeah. up? Yeah. This incredible orange spandexy yeah. bodysuit. Oh, my yeah. God, I love that. Um, yeah, so in all of these images I do wear a big witch's nose and um, I guess... People often ask, you know, what's with the witch's nose and what's, you know, what's with your costume and, um, I mean, there's lots of of different reasons why I I play with the witch's nose and the theme and actually I just, I find it really liberating and um, it's a little bit easier. You've got a little bit more privacy um, and for me personally, I become a lot more less self-conscious but also... Like these stories of witches are, I don't know, like um, I think they feel really important to me, particularly in this contemporary sort of um, environment uh, in regards to, I get, I get really frustrated in regards to how women are represented and for me there's so much liberty in um, researching these these female characters that are, that just have this scope that, could be seen to be a little bit sinister or they could be seen to be ugly or they could be seen to be like a, a good person. Like there's these, these characters that do have these complex qualities of duality and I just find that so liberating and if that is ugly to someone else, well, that's fine. I'm, I'm just so happy celebrating the freedom <laughs> of, you know, the scope of being able to be represented in so many different ways. Yes. Um, I'm thinking about fables and really just bits and pieces of things that I've um, I've heard um, that, are, that are proper true fables. But there was um, something that I've read about... Uh, Baba Yaga. The, oh, yeah, she, Baba Yaga. She's yeah. wonderful. She is. <laughs> um, yeah, she travels around in a mortar and pestle. Yes. And, yeah. But she also, she doesn't have the, um, uh, like she still has a broom but that's used to cover her tracks. And um, I love that. She's very secret. She's private. Yeah, she's yeah. very private and even her, her house is very private. Um, her house is... Uh, sort of stands on these weird chicken legs, <laughs> and um, when anyone approaches her house, the um, the house will sort of turn its back on on the on the visitor, <sighs> sort of sort of shy, sort of um, sort of evasive, oh, oh, sort yeah. of you know protective. I love to think of it as um, 
that it's that the house is saying, this is not a space for you. Yeah, you're absolutely. Not well, you're unwelcome. Yeah, yeah. Especially because there's women traditionally where entertainers, um, cooks, mm. uh, and we welcome, we welcome you home. Yeah. Yep. And Baba Yaga does not welcome you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a, another one where I just, um, I love the idea of her duality as well. You know, she could be like this benevolent person in your life. You know, you could encounter her and she'll ask you to do these things and if you can do it, you know, she will just make all these amazing things happen for you. Yeah. But also she does have the capacity to be quite sinister or, you know, she could eat you. Yeah. <laughs> She's um, a complicated woman. Yeah. <laughs> and um, stories like that are, are fascinating and, yeah, they still, are. you know, that scope, you know. Um, I mean, there's, I feel like there's, for myself, you know, I, I always try to try to be like a good person, but um, I would never want to be pigeonholed as as anything. And I think a lot of women, you know, in society, they feel like they have to be a particular way or a particular person. And I just absolutely feel the need to push back and revolt against these ideas. And um, yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. The, everything is um, changeable. Everything should be changeable. There was um, a death, it was an accidental death of a woman in the United States. She, by all accounts, was the perfect woman. You know, she had um, a wonderful job. She worked and she had a family. She had three children. Her house was immaculate. She was immaculate. Um, and then one night she went out, I think, in an attempt to open a release valve and she had too much to drink and overdosed. It was very much oh. an accident. But if you, when you're, which is very sad and mm, I can't believe mm. I'm bringing it up, but I'm, what I, I think the point I'm trying to make is that when you're often forced into being one specific thing, eventually something's going to snap off the the facade mm, mm. can't remain mm, absolutely and that, that's what's so interesting about your work as well is that there's these um creatures and they're women and they're sometimes they're both I think in your last series with your beautiful rock there's a one of your images is of you sitting on on the ground and with your palms up to the sun and you it's like you're taking a break <laughs> yeah. from pushing this huge rock up yeah. the hill. Yep. Yeah. It's um a really it's a really beautiful moment. Yeah. I, you almost can't believe it's staged. <laughs> um it's quite a interesting thing like in regards to pushing like pushing a giant rock up a mountain. <laughs> I guess if you're doing what you love and you're working hard at it, sometimes you can reach these incredibly euphoric moments. Mm. And um, I don't know, like when I work outside, I just, um, like the Tasmanian landscape for me is just so captivating. And when you spend time in these incredible places, for me personally, it just takes me places and 
it is really meditative and it is really exhausting and but there's something uh, so incredibly euphoric about it as well working in the Tasmanian landscape and being remote and um, being in my creative zone and you know overcoming all these fears I guess and, and issues and because it can be fairly confronting like being a woman and working remotely and feeling safe and you know a lot of people tell you that you shouldn't be in certain places by yourself or you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that and I have had encounters in other places where I have felt, I've felt really vulnerable I guess but I had an encounter in Germany. I did a residency in Germany and um, I was exploring this um, abandoned amusement park and I didn't know any German, very little, and I talked to a a security guard sort of gestured to me and sort of said uh, it was obvious I had a big camera and I wanted to, uh, that I was taking photos and he said, yeah, he nodded to me and he sort of, there was a line, a security sort of a line through the sort of the bushland. He said, you can go through there, you know, you can explore. He gestured this to me and I sort of thought we had this, I don't know, the body language is quite remarkable mm. when, when you need it to be. You yes. know, it, it was an understanding. And so I, I stepped into this zone that was um, this massive parkland that was it, and I'd been exploring this abandoned amusement park for hours and hours and really getting lost and just having such a wonderful time. And then I realised I was quite remote and um, out of nowhere these three skinheads turned up and I'm not talking about like nice punk, you know, skinheads. (laughs) I'm talking about some pretty nasty, you know, Nazi sort of people who started barking at me in German and I had no idea what they were saying and and then they realised I couldn't speak any German and they were sort of talking to me and yelling at me in English and, and being incredibly intimidating. Mm. And I, I held my tripod up and I, as if to say, I will use this tripod if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I've learned a few things in my time. Like you don't take your eyes off these people. You do not lower your eyes. Oh. Um, I know this is getting dark. But anyway, it's just I guess it's a fair, it's relevant for me because it was a moment where I felt like it, it could be a turning point. I could, Sounds horrible. Yeah, I could, I could just not do it anymore. Or, but I really love, I love being in, I love being outside and I love feeling free and I love exploring stories and just exploring in general and actually, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let this incident affect, you know, my past and what I want to do and I'm going to continue to, to do what I want to do and try really hard not to let it oh, sway. Very much like Sisyphus. Is Sisyphus? <laughs> yeah, Sisyphina maybe, yeah. Sisyphus. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Yes. Loop background, oh. isn't it? And, <laughs> oh, gosh, Baba Yaga would never back down. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, that'd be her dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. What I'd love to talk to you about is, um, well, can we start with the, can we start with the rock? Can we yeah. talk about the rock? 
The Rock, yeah, my beloved Rock. Um, so The Rock, um, I started making The Rock probably about a year and a half ago. I knew that I wanted to put, push my rock around some fairly, you know, kind of treacherous landscapes actually, <laughs> um, you know, pretty wild landscapes. I, I needed it to be really um, durable and really strong and um, but also like when you make, your budget's usually pretty small and um, so realistically um, I had to think about all these things and in the end I I had a lot of advice from my friend Hannah Parsonens. She used, she's an amazing maker she gave me the great advice and set me set me off on in this particular direction. But yeah, basically, I just used everything I could get my hands on to make the structure. So it's wood, it's cane, it's chicken wire, it's cardboard, it's paint, it's glue, it's um, what do you call those tie cable ties? <laughs> it's more glue, it's more paint, it's more um, hard as nails. And I made, I ended up making like a really beautiful, strong structure. And I, you know, just to clarify, it really needed to be strong to get it, to push it up. Um, like for, say, for instance, Jacob's Ladder or to pushing this rock up these mountains all around Tasmania. And then I made some work that was, um, that I had the opportunity to exhibit in Minofoma last year. Not, not this one, but uh, in 2019. And unfortunately my rock wouldn't fit through the doorway oh, to the no. gallery. <laughs> and I was so upset I had oh. to cut it in half. And I just felt so terrible. Like this rock, you know, I just, I don't know, like I, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then so I had to put it back together and... Oh, and, a little surgery. <laughs> yes. And um, and then, of course, I had to cut it in half again to get it out of the gallery. So it's been quite, it's been really tortured, my poor rock, <laughs> but it still loves me. And how heavy is the rock? Um, question. It, look, it takes two people to lift it into wow. a, into and a you're car. pushing it up but, hills. Yeah, but pushing it, it's different. It's, you know, like when you're pushing it, it has a bit of, it gets, it gathers momentum and mm. it, um, unfortunately, it doesn't roll as well as it used to. Like it, it's, yeah, it's been pretty bunged up over the <laughs> last year and a half. So what do you think that, what do you think you'll do? Do you think that you'll try to uh, revamp the rock or uh, would you always. let it decay? Or? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea. I've had a few friends suggest that I should just roll it until it just turns into a little... A baby a, rock. A, yeah, a baby <laughs> rock or a... <laughs> that's an interesting idea. Um, but, yeah, I've found that I'm just constantly fixing it up and shaping it. And oh, well, you don't so, want to part with it. <laughs> I don't want to part with it. It is treasured. And um, I've brought it to Queenstown and... When I got it to Queenstown, I needed to do quite a bit of work to it. I sort of had to remake half of it. So that was fun. It's a really beautiful space out the back to work in. Yeah, it's ageing rapidly. <laughs> it's not as, <laughs> yeah, they don't have the, doesn't have the same, I don't know. There's something that um that keeps coming into my mind, which is that um we were talking before about 
the rock on the back of your red ute. Yes. And so for the Unconformity Festival a couple of years ago, yeah. Um, I don't know if you were here or um, but there was a there was this big sort of sound installation mm. and it was the sound of these um of rocks falling and it was so loud and when you were standing where the sound was coming from the speakers you could feel the vibration come up and through your body it was an incredible experience yeah and to end the installation they took using a crane I think a huge rock yeah put it on the back of this I I think it was a ute bed but it might have been a truck beautiful and drove it into it's like this um parade this oh, caravan people, of people have told me about this I wasn't there but they um bring, yeah oh, and then they put it down in the center of this space beautiful and I just keep thinking about this huge rock it's on the beautiful. back of the and your rock on the, oh. <laughs> yeah I mean I originally made the rock to fit in the back of my old Toyota Hilux and then (laughs) that's a classic yeah (laughs) it just fits but I was fortunate that one of my friends has got a big van and it just perfectly fit in the back of this van as well which has been really handy she's been really generous good on you Juno um (laughs) to you know to give me her van every now and again when I need to because it's perfect for dress rehearsals I mean not dress rehearsals just you know if it's raining or the weather's crappy or you know just a bit a little bit more protected if you're changing outfits or changing costumes or you know trying to load film or yeah gotta get a van (laughs) oh yeah in terms of loading film as well I imagine just so you know we were talking before about the film that you use and the camera equipment Mm. that you use I've never dealt with any of those types of cameras before I can't imagine what that experience is like yeah it's pretty um it's old-fashioned it's pretty I mean some people I have friends that think that I'm insane using (laughs) this equipment but I'm just so charmed by these beautiful old things so I um, a friend has given me a um Sinar Norma a beautiful four by five camera to use over the next year for a few projects and that's been really fun. So it's got a huge big old bellows and, you know, it's very, very impractical to take on these <laughs> sort of trips. <laughs> I love it. And I've got an old Hasselblad and, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's old film. Why not have fun with these old cameras? Yes. Um, yeah, it's a little, little crazed. <laughs> oh, it just seems... Um... There's something about it, there's a quality to it as well when we're talking about folklore, uh, fables and myths and then using equipment from the ark. Yeah, yeah. You know, it seems really appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like that equipment from the ark. That's good. And your boots, your beautiful boots. Yeah. Sitting on the bed. Yeah. Yeah, so um, my boots are... It's a funny story. Um, a beautiful friend, Nikki Smith, she's an amazing painter. She was living in Hobart for um, quite a while, studying and just making in Hobart. She was preparing to move back to Sydney. And we, oh, a few friends went round to her house for a dinner party before she left. And um, it was pretty late in the evening and 
she jumped up in the middle of the lounge room and she, it was like this, this moment of like a, um, she just had this thought, this really urgent mm. thought. And she ran to the bedroom and she ran back and she was holding these ginormous, like, I don't know how to describe them, they're these um, like knee length, like felt thick, really incredibly thick felted boots and they were ginormous. They just look absolutely ridiculous and beautiful and like they're... They are beautiful. Um, they're, they're, oh, they're so whimsical. Yeah, oh. and she took my shoe, like she bent down in front of me, took my shoe off and slipped this giant boot on my foot. And it was like such a strange Cinderella moment. Yeah, story where they <laughs> following you everywhere. <laughs> and it, they fit me perfectly and she... Oh. She'd bought, and she's very petite, she's very little, she'd bought them on the internet. They came from somewhere like, I don't know, like somewhere next to Russia, um, some really unusual named country like Uzbekistan or something like that. And um, she had bought them because she'd heard the story that um, the reasons that the um, the Russians beat the Germans in the Second World War was because they they made it to Germany wearing these boots. And um, oh. for me that was just, you know, I just love these these stories about freedom and, you know, they can just seem like this, these boots that, I mean, they, they, they seem quite homely. These boots seem quite homely and um, but actually the story behind them is, is far more epic. Mm. Um, and yeah, the boots they they usually go with me for most of my shoots. I usually wear these strange felted sort of giantess boots. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and similarly, I have the the red sort of spandex suit as well that I wear in almost shoots. Um, that was one of my first op shop buys. And it was a, like a, a speed skating suit. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, like I guess I remember, no, it wasn't a, yeah, it was an op shop. Yeah, my first op shop by and thinking, I don't know, I was sort of coming into adulthood and thinking, wow, I can wear this. I can do whatever I want. This is yes. amazing. <laughs> you know, and it's just been with me for a very long time, symbolising liberty. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, I just, and, and is this the suit that is in the stills? Yeah, uh, it's from, the, yeah, yeah, it's in the stills. It's also in the um, the video. So it appears yellow in the um, infrared images because. Oh, my the, gosh. Yeah, that's it changes, incredible. It changes um, colour because of its materiality. Oh, of course. I hadn't mm. even made the connection looking at mm. looking at them both. Uh, of course it's the same suit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm thinking of uh, my dad's a huge um, history buff and I'm thinking I'm trying, oh, just trying to place it in my mind, but he was talking about when... Uh, Germany was trying to invade Russia um, and I think um, Hitler had said, 
had ordered them to go into Russia and um, everyone was saying, no, 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 the winters are too harsh. Mm. They're too harsh in Russia. Mm-hmm. We can't. And he ordered them to go in anyway. And and they got to a certain point which was barely into Russia Mm-mm. and um, a, a lot of men died but they immediately had to turn back mm. um, because they, could, they couldn't break through the landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Which is incredible. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to think. Um, yeah, just yeah the winters are absolutely brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. It's hard to imagine because, I mean, in, I mean particularly living in Tasmania, it, um, I mean, we have... We have harsh winters and whatnot, but I oh, think not on that, not at all on that. <laughs> yeah, I think the the scale of harshness is yeah quite yeah. significant. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I don't want to. We've been talking for a little while. I don't want yeah. to take up all your time. It's okay. Um, <sighs> Should we take some photos? Yeah. Or is there anything else that? Is there anything else that you? Where are you? So you'll be showing um, at the end of this month. This won't come out for ages. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so you'll be here. And then what are your plans um, being for the rest of the year? Um, so working on a few different projects. Um, One involving a dinosaur, yeah. T-Rex. <laughs> um, one for uh, our friend um, Victor Madrano, lovely fellow who's a friend and curator. He is curating a show about, um, it's like a Japanese genre called uh, keiju and it's um, large sort of Godzilla-like um, <gasps> film animals. And so oh. there's a group of us that are responding to this this idea of keiju, which is going to be very fun. Yes, that sounds wonderful. Um, and also working towards a show with QBank. So my partner Tom and I will be working um, to exhibit some work in Melbourne uh, and also collaborating. I've been, I'm involved with a mentorship with um, Contemporary Art Tasmania and this is a really wonderful opportunity for me to, to I got sort of partnered up with a fellow called Mark Shorter. He's been amazing, incredible. Mm. Um, and we'll be sort of, he'll be helping me sort of develop um, some work for um, Dark Mofo. Yeah. That's so, so exciting. He's due to arrive um, in Queenstown next week and um, we'll sort of look at a few sites and I'll share some ideas and um, he's going to sort of um, help me brainstorm and Wow, what an yeah. incredible experience. Yeah, I feel really, really incredibly lucky. I just feel like, um, yeah, um, through Contemporary Art Tasmania, Kylie Johnson sort of matched me up with this fellow and, yeah, he's quite remarkable. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting pairing. Uh, mm. Yeah, so there's certainly lots going on. Yes, yes. <laughs> also, you know, just... Um, being a mum as well, that's been... Yeah, we, how old's your daughter? She's five and um, oh. she's incredibly social and adventurous and interested and always willing to engage with people. And, yeah, it's been interesting bringing her, 
bringing her here. Like she has been so incredibly patient and sometimes really, really not patient, (laughs) (laughs) which is totally understandable and, you know, like um, it's, it's been tricky at times but I'm really glad that we've done it. Like, uh, what does Mabel think of your costumes? Oh, she's so incredibly supportive. She loves my costumes, and I bet she, you know, I might be trying on something different, and I, I'm just in my zone, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm looking quite normal or acceptable, and I walk into a room, and she would just bring me back to the moment, and <laughs> you know, like kill herself laughing, and. Sort of like, Mum, what are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to um, imagine a conversation uh, between you and Mabel. Where I'm working. I'm clearly working. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. It's so wonderful though. She's. I mean, I forget like because sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time sort of explaining something or convincing her that that um, well, not convincing her but just sort of kind of wrangling, you know, <laughs> you know, um, that you know, Tom and I, we're working here and, and, um, and she, she is an artist here as well and we're sort of trying to instil this idea of her working here as well and making oh. and which is really lovely. But um, I did a video at the base of Mount Owen just a couple of days ago and I was sort of rolling my rock up the base of Mount mm. Owen and I set up the camera on the other side so closer to the, the blow and was filming over the valley and so Tom and Mabel were looking after the camera and I was on the base of Mount Owen and, you know, I hit the play, um, got Tom to hit the record button and the camera doesn't move in the scene but... It's quite beautiful. I get to hear the dialogue, Tom and Mabel, the dialogue, what they're talking about while the video is going on. And I was so, I shouldn't be surprised, but I was so surprised there was, um, uh, so there was some problem with the camera. I think it stopped recording and then Tom must have hit play again and Mabel is really concerned. And and I just realised in that moment that she's really invested in my work and and my yeah. and my success and and it was such a beautiful moment like just hearing her concern like her, she's only five and um, you know she totally is backing me like um, it's just like oh, oh. wow what a beautiful what a insight into this little person that I, I feel like I I know so much about but she's always sort of um, what's the word you know surprising me just. It's beautiful. They are. I, I, yeah, I think kids in, kids in general, I, I am always so grateful to Henry. I find I'm able to have those beautiful experiences. Mm. I'll be drawing or um, recently I've been working on copper plates, etching into beautiful. copper plates. Mm. And he, you know, he doesn't know why I'm doing that. Mm. But he'll come over and I'll say to him, oh, what do you think, babe? He's like, oh, mum, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every time, every time. <laughs> and I just, oh, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about Mabel, oh, no. 
yeah. this is mum's work. Yeah, this yeah. is her work. We need to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, where where can people uh, find you? Um, yeah. And your work? Um, I'm based in Hobart. Um, just got um, some good news that uh, uh, Henry Jones wants to show some of my work, so I'll be a, an artist in in their um, oh, wow. collection, which is really Congratulations. great. Congratulations! Some um, really lovely news. Yeah, um, that's wonderful. Because I mean, yeah, like I I personally feel like there's a there's a huge hole in regards to representing emerging artists in Hobart. Like there's a lot of great collectives. There's lots of great um, people that are doing sort of artist-run initiatives and things like that, and that's really, really important. But um, also, like, the commercial galleries, you know, the it feels uh, like there's lots of artists that, um, that don't quite fit into or perhaps there isn't quite space in that commercial realm um, and, um, yeah, there's heaps of artists. I mean, perhaps that's everywhere, you know, more galleries, more galleries, mm. ideally. But, um, yeah, in Hobart, I don't know, maybe if you just Google Lou Conboy. Mm. Yeah, I've got a website. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Self-promotion is incredibly yeah. difficult. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it makes me feel squirmish. Oh, thank you so much for That's this. Right. This was Local. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is produced by Tess Gilfeder. artwork is made by GG Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund and the Unconformity Festival. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time sort of explaining something. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or local the podcast on Facebook and Instagram.